Hi, guys, and welcome to the Dead by Tomorrow podcast. My name is Daniel Winter, and my co-host is Andrew Monroe. In each episode, Andrew and I will explore topics that you should think about before you die. We encourage you to remember that some tomorrow will be your last, so each day could be your final chance to really live. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode. We are thrilled to have you. I know the last episode, we were missing a Daniel, and so in some weird retribution, This episode is going to be me interviewing Daniel about who Daniel is and everything about him. A lot of you listening already know Daniel, probably all of you, and not even just kind of know him. You probably know him pretty well. That said, hopefully this gives you a better sense of who Daniel is, despite that maybe intimate knowledge of who Daniel Winter is as a person. So we're hoping that this enlightens you on what he's been up to, what he does on a day-to-day basis who he's become as a person, and where he's hoping to go and become as a person. So without further ado, Daniel, welcome back. We missed you last time. It was interesting not having you on, and you were sorely missed. So how's your day going? It's going well, and I'm sorry to have missed. I guess we'll just have to look at the viewership and see if it's worth me sticking around on this or not, see if I you know, really bring all that much to the table. So yeah, what I've been up to today... Went on a bike ride with Hillary and Riley. That's kind of been something that we're hoping to make into a normal routine. So Riley at her first birthday this month and her birthday present from us was a little riding attachment that we can put on my bike so that we can all get ride places together. So we rode to El Vecino. It's a Mexican food restaurant pretty close by. They had a Wednesday enchilada deal. Got some enchiladas, got some churros, rode back home. It was pretty nice. Bro, that sounds wonderful. Churros on a Wednesday night. You are living large. Yeah, feeling large now after that. Oh, I will not throw <laughs> stones on that front. Uh, COVID has not been kind. I can't even use that as an excuse anymore. The camera is completely open. It has been for months. Did it ever close? No, not really. There was like a probably a month and a half, two months that we were truly shut down in like any meaningful sense. And honestly, that was the best gains I had. So whatever. <laughs> but hey, you're not interviewing me. This is a Daniel interview. Don't don't table turn me here, sir. Turning those tables. <sighs> we'll, we'll see what happens. There was a meme. You know what? We're not going to get into that. I, there was a clever TikTok that had a guy turning a table and it took me way too long to figure out what the joke was. Okay, so we're going to try this a little differently. And I say differently. It's not like we've done this before. So we're going to start with the day-to-day stuff and who you are as a person, what you're doing right now. We'll scoot back a little bit to how you got here. And then hopefully we'll have some time at the end to see where you're going. So with that said, how about you tell me who you are as a person now? You, What you label yourself as and the loosest sense, what your job title is, you know, what your claim to fame, that kind of stuff. Where are you at right now in life? Yeah, I think there are several titles that I could use. It's kind of weird at this point. There there are a lot of defining factors, but if we start with job title, we can go that route to start out. So I'm a director at a company called Light Solutions, which I'm in our our delivery department. So for somebody who is a director and kind of the delivery aspect or an operation aspect to really understand what they do, you sort of have to understand what they deliver, what the operation is. And so our company does a lot of things, but my sphere is all focused in healthcare consulting, healthcare navigation. So helping people 
find doctors, figure out how much something costs, all that sort of stuff. And so what I do is help our health pros, who are the people that provide that service, kind of help to set them up for success and work directly with their managers on just kind of the logistics of that delivery, capacity, staffing, volume, like future projects that are coming through. Do we say yes to it? Do we say no? How can we say yes to things? All of that sort of deal. And that's sort of what my job actually entails. My favorite part about the job, though, is just working with really awesome people and trying to make their days a little bit better. Because, I mean, when it comes to people management, I feel like the secret is if people enjoy being around the other people that they work with, then everything about work is that much better. Because at the end of the day, like work is it's a grind. Even if it's a really, really interesting job, at some point there still is that grind aspect to it. And so you can come in and have those strong connections and relationships with other people that kind of helps you get through some of the grind. So that's work. Get out of here. Sitting at the door waiting to bark. So outside of work, I am a dad, a husband. So that is a huge part of my life. It's just trying to figure out how to be a good dad, figure out how to be a good husband, you know, figure out how to be a good friend, which a lot of where I pull that from, even figuring out how to be a good director, a lot of where I pull that from is just my Christian background and upgrade, upbringing and just trying to look and see what does it really look like to love other people? What does it really look like to, you know, hold, hold people accountable, to challenge people? I think that's a really important aspect of relationships. It, it can be very easy to focus on the, yeah, just love people and just be nice and all that, which is super important. And that's probably the part that I need a little bit more of that accountability on and that encouragement to remember that piece of it. But there is another side of the coin, which is people are not perfect. I don't think that a single person on the planet is. I think any person that exists has zero opportunities to, you know, make those improvements and, you know, where that improvement comes from, what drives that, you know, what ultimately can create the stickiness and all of that. Like that's where we can maybe differ in it and may not agree with anything as far as like a Christian theology should drive those things. But even if you don't, I'm sure most people would agree that there's opportunity for others to improve and yeah, self help books exist because of that lots of development classes coaching like all these things exist to kind of drive people to improve and so that's i would say and and then they're just defining aspect of who i am is this kind of pairing of really caring about others really seeking to approach all the situations i go through day to day whether it's work or personal life from a loving aspect but also an aspect of let's look to let's look to make those improvements and drive things forward, which is why this podcast exists, why we wrote a book together. It's like all very much tied back to kind of that core identity, I would say. That's, that in a nutshell is how this all came about. Uh, and it's funny you mentioned that because I think a lot of people, I say this, I'm estimating other people's opinion, which is always a dangerous thing. But a lot of people probably wouldn't think of you or me as like a very caring person. Like they don't recognize necessarily that you and I care so deeply about other people because we're highly critical of that improvement. Like, hey, you can optimize, you can get better, you can do this kind of thing. And that usually comes across to most people because nobody likes that kind of criticism as negativity. And I'm not sure about you, but 
where I think it comes from is we're optimists. <laughs> we we have this optimistic sense of the world could be so much better and we expect it's going to be so much better and <laughs> it doesn't happen. And we're disappointed. We're like, hey, well, you could just do this thing. You can you can just improve a little bit here and it's going to be better. And people don't recognize us as these caring optimists. They just see the side of like, why does this guy think so poorly of me? Um, and it comes off different. And a lot of people at least think I'm like this pessimist and I'm you know, really negative, but I'm not. It's just I'm constantly disappointed as an optimist. <laughs> yeah. And and one thing I'll say is I feel like over the years, I've gotten a little bit better at learning how to communicate the the expectation that I have that somebody would grow and somebody would improve and being able to say, look, I'm saying this for your good because I care about you. And it kind of coming up to people up front, maybe and like sort of explaining, hey, like when you hear this from me, this is what it means. And, and one thing I will say also being a director. So, you know, several steps up within a company is the people that I'm working with are also fairly progressed in their careers. And they also have a good understanding of, hey, I don't get to advance without somebody telling me the ways that I can grow. And they're super open to it and so easy to work with. And so I don't have to set the stage quite as much on, hey, when I give you feedback, it's because I love you and I care about you. I did have to learn to set some of that stage a lot more in like friendships or or even in marriage. And I still have to find that balance of, you know, it's not always about improving. It's not always about you know, chasing that growth like that. I got to back that off a little bit sometimes. And that's OK, too. I like it. We're going to keep with the present a little bit. I guess this could dip down into the past some. But you have father, husband, and director as these three interconnected but separate kind of titles. What surprised you about each of them? So the the one that I've been the longest is husband. So that's about five and a half years now. And I think the thing that surprised me the most was just how things that seemed apparent to me, things that seemed obvious to me weren't always that way to Hillary and vice versa. Just that you you kind of assume in a close relationship that you're going to be on the same page a lot more often than you are. And just needing to communicate things that to you seem so obvious that it, it almost feels insulting to have to say it. You just have to swallow your pride and say it. I'm not proud of earlier on moments within marriage where I would just be so frustrated that maybe Hillary didn't recognize something that seemed so obvious to me and was so oblivious to it. And I would take it approach of like, well, I'm just going to wait until she recognizes it. And I'm not going to speak it because if she doesn't recognize it, then that's insulting. I'm like, that's ridiculous. And instead of just swallowing my pride and saying, well, you know, I, this is important to me and maybe it's not important to her or maybe like, it's just totally off her radar. But if it's important to me, I need to communicate it. I think that was a surprising aspect and just how much the the communication is important. But then on the other side of it, now being sort of five years down the road, just seeing how much things can change for the positive, both in myself and, and in the relationship, just being able to look back and say, okay, like you mentioned that this trait that I have or, or this way that I approach a certain situation kind of bothers you and it, and it frustrates you. And I heard that and have tried to make it, make a change around that and actually 
did change for, for the better. It's something that I actually now, you know, to give an example specifically, Hillary mentioned kind of early on that when she'd have friends come around that I didn't really know well, and they were just kind of there for a short time. That seemed like I was always preoccupied and I um, was a little bit aloof and wasn't, you know, super conversational or engaging or whatever it is. That is something that I do recognize I can tend to do because I get very focused on, well, if I'm going to see this person for only 10 minutes, like how meaningful can this conversation really be? And I just get too, too caught up with my own agenda and my own schedule. But she yeah, said and, that. And the boy's Slack is on fire and it's got to be responded to ASAP. <laughs> oh, always. <laughs> so, I mean, she, she said that and it was kind of hard to hear it, but I recognized that it was true. And so then started making an effort anytime, you know, some of her friends came around that maybe I didn't know that well, I would try to be more friendly, more engaging, more in the moment. And it's made me enjoy then coming around a lot more and actually build some relationships and also meet Hillary brighten up a lot more and, and feel like her feedback was heard and, and appreciated and like she didn't feel weird her with her friends being around me. And it's it's a dynamic that now we can look back and say, hey, remember that time you asked me to do this? Well, like that's changed and that's better. And that can build on something we've talked about before, which is identity capital, where I can say, okay, well, we did this, we made this change. And so it's reasonable to expect that if there's another aspect where we're having some conflict, we're having a rab, we kind of wish something was different, we can make that happen. And so that that's something that, I don't know, I feel like going to marriage, maybe I didn't appreciate as much is just the willingness and ability to make changes to your personality. That's cool. I know a lot of people I think we talked about this pretty recently. It might've been the last episode of Jonah. A lot of people think that they, something will change. Like, Hey, when I marry this person, everything's going to be better. Whenever I have a hundred thousand dollars, everything's just going to suddenly be better. As soon as I am in better shape, everything is going to be better. And it's not how it works. You don't ever hit these milestones and then your life takes a 90 degree turn. I mean, maybe hitting the lottery, you win the lottery. Fine. That's maybe a 90 degree turn, but Short of that, a lot of stuff, you you get to that point and you're not a different person because you have more money or because you're now married or anything like that. It takes that conscious effort. So that's cool. What about uh, the other two? What about the father and the director? So yep. let me let me point you at the director first. You're now in charge of your, your senior level management, more or less, depending on the structure of your company. But I'm pretty sure you would count as senior level management. So not even like the manager of Pizza Hut, who's like telling you to make the pizzas faster. You're you're two or three tiers above entry level, four tiers above entry level, possibly. A lot of people don't get to that point at any point in their career, but you've done it semi-young, semi-quickly. So what's surprising about precariously high on the corporate ladder? Yeah, I, I would say one thing that is good about the role is there are some surprises, but there haven't been big major ones. And I feel like that's a, a testament to my director, my boss, who kind of helped get me into the role. So the fact that she helps there to not be a ton of surprises is is definitely helpful. I feel like that's not a great thing if you come into the role and all of a sudden your eyes are just blown wide open and, and there's this whole entire new world. Like that's probably not a good thing. But I guess... Well, oh, go ahead. So I was going to say that. So let me jump in on that. I, I'm sure you remember this at 21 too. I was thinking... Man, I am so good. I don't understand why nobody lets me run this company, you know, where I was working. <laughs> and, you know, I could work hard, which was in a fair point, a skill that I did have that a lot of other people didn't. 
But I would do things like send the passive aggressive corporate lingo, you know, FU emails thinking I was all smart and real full-time worker crap. I did all these really immature things because I was pretending working in a office adult environment. I did things because I thought that's what you were supposed to do because I literally didn't know what I was doing. And so when I look back on that kind of stuff, I'm like, thank God no one actually thought the, about me the way I thought about me because it would have been a train wreck if somebody actually was like, you know what, Andrew, you're right. You're in charge of people now. You make this run. We're counting on you. Like, oh my good. Yeah, no, th- that's true. And and I guess that does make me think of the thing that it's probably the most surprising. And this is going to sound kind of bad, but one of the surprising things was that I was really, truly needed in that role. So coming into it, in a lot of ways, I sort of felt like, well, well, how much am I bringing to the table when it comes to meeting with some of my managers or, or being a part of things? And there are still days where sometimes I question that, but that's, that's a whole separate thing. But then after being in the role for a few weeks, few months, I started to recognize ways that I really could help my managers and I really could be a resource to them and help give them perspective, help to kind of improve their day. And that was an exciting moment to be like, okay, you know what? I really do bring some value. And and I think that part of why I sort of question it was I just assumed that I'd be managing people that were roughly around the same, you know, level as what I was at. But I just kind of forgot and discounted the years of experience at different situations that I had sort of gone through to help make me ready for the role and, and kind of forget that others haven't had all that perspective yet. And that's something that's just so important to have is that perspective and that experience in different situations where you know kind of the right call to make. And a lot of, as you go further up in management and those types of roles, it's being able to make the right call and being able to do it pretty consistently. So I think that was a surprising moment to be like, hey, this actually is something I'm, I'm really helping people with. Absolutely. That's cool. All right. What about the fatherhood? You have been a father for a year and a little bit of change. What's been surprising about that? Because I know you'd been planning on becoming a father. You guys weren't the kind who it's, you know, stumbled upon parenthood. You planned for this. What surprised you about it? I think just how fun it is. Everybody will say that, will say, you know, having a kid, it's such a rewarding experience and all those sorts of things. But it is just so much fun. And I think it unlocked a little bit of an emotional side of me that was not necessarily there before. Like I've actually cried this decade, probably couldn't have said <laughs> that previously. So I, I think just those, all those little, little moments, like the, the first step, the first semi little words, like all those types of things. It's stuff that when you're not a parent and, and even when it's not your kid. You can sort of appreciate it. You can sort of be like, oh, wow, that's, that's cool. That's a human that couldn't walk before and now they can't. But when it's, when it's yours, it's just a whole nother level of just joy and pride and emotion and all this sort of stuff that I honestly didn't know that I could feel. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I'm still convinced that you guys are slightly somehow being brainwashed by having children. <laughs> from an outside perspective, but you're all on the same page. So I have to believe everybody. <laughs> well, one, one secret is I'm pretty sure you can still be selfish with one kid, which is why I think there's a lot of only children out there. You have one, you can still kind of 
live your life. But as somebody that has siblings, man, I would have been so upset to be an only child. So I'm not going to do that to my kid. Yeah, that's, I've never thought about it. I wonder what it's like being an only child. I wanted to be one whenever I was a kid, but that's because I had siblings. All right, let's jump to, we're still staying present, more or less, but we're going to go maybe some softballs just to get a, a good feel for things. Favorite movie, favorite book, and favorite food. So favorite favorite movie is definitely the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I would say it's just whichever one of the three that I've watched the most recently, <laughs> I would say is my favorite. Return of the King is what I've watched most recently, so I'll say that. Excellent. <laughs> Favorite book. So I do love the Lone in the Rings books, but I, I won't do a repeat answer on that. And that's kind of hard. There, there are a whole lot of books that I really like. Let me think first. Well, stealing from Tim Ferriss, you know, because he is the podcast king, I guess you could say, or at least in my mind, that's untrue. Joe Rogan is now the podcast king. But Tim Ferriss is who I listened to for a while. He always asked, what was the book you gift the most? And I've always thought that was kind of a cool turn on it because it makes your brain think differently. So is there a book that you've given out the most to people? The Bible. <laughs> that can count. <laughs> I mean, that's the honest answer. I, I don't really give a ton of books. I'm not great at a at gift giving, but I would say like my, my favorite author is probably Brandon Sanders and, and of his series. It's kind of a toss up. I really love the Stormlight Archives because the world building is really cool. The magic system is really cool. But I also really like his Mistborn, not the original trilogy, but the follow up with, oh, I'm blanking on their names now. Remember? Uh, Wax and Wayne. Yes. Yes. The Mistborn, Wax and Wayne. I guess it's a, a trilogy. I think he's working on the third book. Those ones are really fun just to have a really great romance. It's also a really creative type of world that has like a Sherlock Holmes type of feel. So they really are well done. I, I don't know why they're so good, why they're so much fun, but <laughs> that Wax and Wayne series, it's great. It's because, okay, Wax is the main character. Wayne is the, the sidekick. The, uh, Watson is the sidekick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's because Wayne is ridiculous in the best way. <laughs> He's hilarious. I might reread those soon, honestly, because <laughs> they're just so good. Yeah. I they also, for all of our friends out there, Brandon Sanderson is probably my single primary guest that I want on this podcast. Like he's the top tier that I'd give a kidney to get on and to talk with Daniel and I. So put it out there. You know, Brandon, you know, someone who knows Brandon, there are favors to be traded if necessary. All right. What is the favorite food? That's also, I, I realize I'm kind of bad at favorites because there's so many things that I appreciate. We are gray men living in a black and white world. I'm sorry to give you all these <laughs> line in the sand answers. Now it's, it's bad because I, I honestly used to be pretty good at favorites, but I, I would Quick, say who's your favorite wife. <laughs> Hillary. Oh, that was too slow. <laughs> uh, so I would, I would say it's, it's probably actually, there's a seafood pasta that Hillary has made in the past and I don't even know that she, so, so Hillary very rarely remakes things. So I don't know if I'll ever have that exact version again, because I don't think she's kept the recipe, but oh no. when she, when she makes seafood pasta, that's, that's pretty close to being my favorite. Nice.
Okay. You did good. I know that was tough. You deserve a break and a pat on the back, but you're going to get neither because this is a remote podcast and time is money. <laughs> so <laughs> let's jump to the past a little bit. You are 30 ish. You know, I don't know how to count. <laughs> I know you are 30 technically, but it's weird. We only go by the years. Like you're like right in the middle. Like, are you as, you're as much 31 as you are 30 now? Because that's the way I do math is I round everything. That's in there somewhere. Hey, we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> so you're, you're at 30. Is this where you thought you'd be? You're, you know, roll the clock back 10 years, five years, 20 years. You had a whole childhood. Did you expect this to be what 30 looked like? Did you expect this to be what 30 looked like five years ago? Is this what, you know, college Daniel thought he was going to do with his life? Uh, I think this was better than what I expected 30 to look like, to be honest. Oh, did you actually have like a hard set, like, Hey, this is what it's going to look like in my mind. Or were you up in the air and you've just been pleasantly surprised? I definitely didn't have a, a hard set. Like I want to have X amount of money and be in this place and blah, blah, blah. But I think some of the loose things was by 30, I hoped that I would be married. I hoped that I would be a dad. So I, I wanted to, I've always wanted to have my first kid before I turned 30, which I had Riley when I was 29. Hillary had Riley. I did very little. Uh, <laughs> Participation trophy. <laughs> yeah. And as far as career, when, when you graduate with the business undergrad in marketing, you don't, you don't necessarily know where things will go career-wise. So career is one of those things that I, I've never really had the greatest pulse on what I thought that I would do. At in high school, I went back and forth between thinking I'd be an engineer, sort of like my dad, to thinking I could, I don't know, be some sort of, I probably thought I could be a, some sort of writer or some something a little bit more on the creative side or thinking I could start a company or I don't know, something like that. I didn't really have a great sense of it though. What I would say is the job that I have, the people that I get to work with, it's a lot better than I expected. I'm making more than I thought I would be at 30. And so, yeah, to have a really great relationship with Hillary, to have a healthy daughter, to be in a good career that's paying more than I thought it would, to have just really great friends and like a really good social network within Dallas, like these are all things that, yeah, certainly even five years ago would not have expected things to be as good as they are. There's a lot to be grateful for. That is for sure. It's kind of funny. I don't know. season ticket holder. I definitely didn't expect that. That's Oh yeah. That's a pretty cool thing. We need to make sure that was said again. Mav season season ticket holder. That means Daniel has tickets to see the Mavs all season. That's wild. That is some adult level stuff i'm still jealous you can buy some season tickets to the old the old uh yeah, you keep they, looking for when, whatever that team is yeah uh, i got the saudis the dog the saw the sod poodles the poodles it's like it's <laughs> something dogs yeah we got the saudis up here he oh yeah they love them it's okay the saudis might not be my favorite but I am trying very hard to get some season tickets to the symphony. And that's basically the same thing, right? Ooh, I went to the symphony last night and oh, was so thinking how it would be kind of cool to have season tickets to the symphony. That's something I fully support. You got to support the arts, guys. I mean, we, we focus on the money and we focus on all these other things, but the arts are what we live for. So don't neglect it, guys. Daniel, don't neglect it. So 
Is there anything from your past that you would be disappointed in now? You don't have to have been right in your past. You, you know, 10-year-old Daniel does not need to be right, but would he be disappointed? Was there any points that you were like, if I do this or if I become this, I I just can't. That's not, not an option. I'll hate myself because I hate those people. I'm saying that because there's lots on me and we can get to that whenever I do an episode like this and you get your chance of it. For you, is there anything like that? Oh, and also, hold on. Was that a Ted Lasso reference earlier? Oh, the, the question, is there a question in yes. there somewhere? Yes. Yes. 100%. Just making sure. I, I chuckled inside and I was like, wait, was that intentional? Yeah, it was. Uh, hey guys, go watch Ted Lasso. It is a beautiful show. And I don't know anyone who has started watching it that hasn't just been blown away uh, because the premise does not sound like it's an amazing show. Daniel convinced me to watch it and I'm in love and it's so good with the show. Only a little bit with Daniel. It's amazing. Yep. Sorry, back to your disappointment. Um, disappointment. So I think 10-year-old me would probably be disappointed that I'm not some sort of professional athlete. We've talked about this. We, we talk about it in the guys' chat often. I feel like that was just a couple of days ago that we were like all like legitimately thought I would be a professional athlete. And, you know, it sounds silly to say, but like 17-year-old Jonathan Daniel Andrew, you could ask this. And it was like, yeah, 75% chance that's going to happen. <laughs> Maybe 15, 17, I was starting to, you know, eyes are starting to get open. Yeah, or, or at the very least, like a athlete who made it onto a college team and got a scholarship. <laughs> very low bar, we thought. <laughs> yeah, it turns hot. out that's, even that's pretty, pretty hard. Yeah, it's, that's a high bar, guys, for anyone out there that doesn't know. That's a high freaking bar. <laughs> Ten-year-old me would maybe be disappointed with how much pleasure I take in just a a well-maintained yard and how bad I am at doing it. <laughs> I'm, I'm disappointed. <laughs> but, and whenever I like get all the, the yard mode and the edges trimmed and get all the weeds done, and I just like kind of go stand in the street and look at the house and I just have this sense of accomplishment. That's, that's a thing that happens. And 10 year old me would probably be like, you used to get paid to mow the yard. Like what's wrong with you? Oh, I'm not there, brother. <laughs> not. And it's, it's basically like playing Minecraft in real life, right? There is that. So it's, it's funny you say that because we're playing Minecraft, I guess it's been a year and a half and we're playing it. I got really, really into real life, do it yourself stuff. And my dad was like, Hey, we're going to build a shed. And I was like, yes, (laughs) I've been playing Minecraft. I can build anything. (laughs) I was wrong and it was miserable and it took forever. And we stopped playing Minecraft. About the same time, I stopped it when I did to uh, DIY things. So there was a correlation. <laughs> That's funny. So I, any other I disappointments? Did, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was just, I was just thinking like if there's anything that I would have been majorly disappointed in, and I don't know, I, I don't think that there is. I think part of that though is ten year old me probably didn't really dream super big, <laughs> and so I mean, I guess maybe disappointed that I am not a millionaire in space. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what 10 year old me was all that into aside from sports and video games. And I'd still play sports and video games on a regular basis. That's <laughs> <laughs> called consistency guys. It is key to success. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually recently was talking to my manager team about, look, we do these things called life lately is where we share different things that are going on. And for mine, I'd share things that were going on, but then also like 
was sneaking in pictures from like five years ago to basically show that things have not really changed that much. It's, I went on a vacation with Michael five years ago and then did the same thing this year. But the point that I made was that it actually has taken a whole lot of work and intentional effort for things to look relatively the same this year as what they did five years ago. And that was on purpose because th there are some things that it takes no effort to maintain, like just binging whatever the latest TV show is and having that be your Monday through Friday night. It doesn't take any effort to do that for five years. And I'm not saying that watching TV is bad. We just talked about how fun Ted Lasso is. But maintaining a close friendship with a really valued friend who throughout the course of that five years moved to a state thousands of miles away, moved to a different company when work coworkers had a kid, and then did eventually move back. That takes a lot of intentional effort. So yeah, you can see the two pictures and it's like, oh yeah, Daniel and Michael, like, they're still just doing the same old thing. I guess life's not that different. It's like, actually life is super different, but we fought really hard to keep that piece of it. That is such a good point to make. I like that. And what did y'all call them? What, what are the things you're doing with the management team? Yeah, we call them life latelys. Life latelys. How often do you do that? So one person shares each week and we're, we're rotating through. We have a team of like, 20 managers it's it's honestly too wow much. so the pressure's on to be you know like hey don't don't tell us about breakfast this morning this is your <laughs> once every six months uh moment to be vulnerable yeah yeah basically is it a long meeting or is it just you drop an email or how does that work so we do it for the first like five to ten minutes of our our weekly circle up meeting or whatever okay circle in the wagons i think there's an idiom in there <laughs> All right, future Daniel, we'll call uh, future Daniel, Daniel, seems accurate. Future Daniel, what do you think is going to happen in the next five years, 10 years, 20 years? Where are you at? Career change. Obviously, it sounds like there's more kids on the way. You're hoping for a boy or girl. You're going to adopt. Now, what's what's next? What's, what's the director, father, husband look like? Yeah, the next five to 10 years, who knows? Because the past two years has just been wild. So I just hope that the, the wildness subsides a little bit. But for me in my life personally, in the next five to 10 years, I really career wise don't necessarily know. I've joked that every time I've sort of looked to make some sort of transition and move away from Compass slash Alight, I've been promoted and have really enjoyed kind of where I've been promoted into. So maybe that trend continues and I'm still there or maybe not. I still think it would be really fun to be in a startup type environment with really close friends as long as they don't have to leave Dallas because I'd be like, hey, you can come do that right now. So, I mean, that that would be that would be really interesting. Doesn't have to happen, though. Yes, would love to have more kids. Uh, I'd be okay with whatever. I, I won't be upset if I just have girls. Wouldn't be upset with the boy. Pretty, pretty flexible there. And uh, open to adopting 100%. That's something Hillary and I definitely talked about. So that could happen. But I don't know. I mean, I just, so I have a tattoo on my rib cage that the top half of it is a sunrise. The bottom half of it is snowflake. It's a, a sibling tattoo. We all have a snowflake on the bottom for winter. And um, we all have something different on the top. And so I've got a sunrise because my favorite scripture is Matthew 6 34 which is don't worry about tomorrow tomorrow worry about us 
self-sufficient for today's own troubles. And I definitely take that mindset. Like I do plan ahead and have, you know, things that I'm working towards goals that I'm working towards, but I don't really get caught up on thinking a ton about, okay, well, you know, when this happens or I'm just working towards this sort of next thing, like the extent that I, that I really focus and think about is maybe six months out if I have a trip planned. But beyond that, I'm just really looking to maximize each day and enjoy each day and know that if I'm doing that, that I think only, only good things await out in the future. So, so something like you never know when you, uh, never know when you might be dead by tomorrow. That's, <laughs> I don't know if that's quite it. I've, I've never heard something Dang like it. that before. Well, I'm sure it'll come to us. <laughs> so what would you be disappointed in, in future Daniels? There's anything today that you're like, I hope I don't, I hope this doesn't happen. And oh, not like one, depressing, 100%. sad things. Like, I hope my family doesn't get murdered. Cause like, don't be ridiculous. No one wants that. But like, are there things that you think are potential for disappointment that could make sense? Well, sure. I mean, I'd be, I'd be disappointed in if, you know, I haven't ran much as a person, if my relationship with Hillary isn't a lot different, a lot stronger and a lot better than it already is today. I'd be disappointed if I lost touch with a bunch of my really close friends, really any of my, my close friends. I'd, I have lost touch with close friends throughout the years and it's always a little bit sad to, to think back on and to reflect on. So that'd be, be super disappointing. I'd be super disappointed if I was not present in Riley's life. I mean, there, there are tons of things that if my life slid in that direction, I would be pretty upset to see it if that was. So I want to point something out there because I think that was a really good answer. Daniel didn't say anything about he'd be disappointed if he lost his job or didn't make a bunch of money. It was, it was the things that people regret on their deathbed. It was the people you love and the relationships you have. That's, that's where your disappointment's coming from. And I think that's really smart because those are the things that a lot of people do, you know, Hey, I'll, I'll work on my friendships. You know, I'll, I'll reconnect with them. I'll reach out. I will worry about my relationship with my wife when, you know, I get this promotion. It's the same thing I talked about earlier. People worry about the wrong stuff. We don't take care of the things that are meaningful. And the next thing, thing you know, they're, they're gone or you regret not having them or you're disappointed, whatever it is. Like that's to me, that's a really strong and a well screwed on head answer. But glad that my, my hardware is holding up. Mostly, at least in this, in this regard. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right. We do story time with everybody else. And since this is your interview, I'm going to leave it to you. Give us a story, give us a challenge, and we'll wrap this up. What's hard is that we use my go-to favorite story on our first ever interview episode we did with Sam. So that I'm means... sorry, did I make this hard on you, Daniel? <laughs> I, I apologize. <laughs> so, so that mean, that does mean that my... My favorite story is in a previous episode. You just have to go listen to it. If you didn't get enough and you want some more, I will instead talk about some biking, biking stories. And I don't think we've shared this on a, on a podcast episode before, but we as a group of guide friends like to do something we call gym trips every now and then. And one of the earlier ones that we did, we made our way out to Big Bend, Texas, which if you've never been to Big Bend, 
It is so cool. Somebody the other day actually asked me where my favorite place in Texas was. And I said, Big Bend, because it's just so pretty. It's so unique. And I'd go more, but it's way the heck out there. So we, we did a trip out to Big Bend. We stayed in Marfa, Texas, uh, which is this quirky, cool little town. They've got this bar where you can do, uh, I think it's like five pull-ups. They give you a free drink. So obviously Andrew and I were super pumped about that place. Yes. But the story comes in with a mountain biking experience that we, we booked. And so a lot of times when we make our way out to national parks, we try to rent bikes at some point in time, because that's actually a really cool way to see a lot of a park to cover a lot of ground. And so we did that at Big Bend and we went in May, which is not the best decision because Big Bend is basically a desert. And if you go to the state park, like it is legit a desert. Like I, I'm pretty sure they film Westerns, like the standoffs in the middle of a dusty town. Like they film that sort of stuff out in the state park of Big Bend. But it is a really cool place to bike. They have a lot of bike trails. There's some good elevation changes. It's really pretty. It's just really hot because it's May. It was like 100 degrees. And so we're out there biking. I was had been doing a lot of Spartan races and, and playing Frisbee forever. And so I'm, of course, like, yeah, let's get out there. Eat. No big deal. Like, we're, we're going to hit the trails and it's going to be awesome. And so that was true for me. That was true for one of our other friends that had been doing some Spartan races was not true for the entire group. So at one point in time, we ride up to this big hill. It's, it's me and me and Evan at the top of the hill. And then Kelton decides to come up as well. So these are a few of our friends. And Evan and I ride down the hill. It was really fun, really fast. And we get to the bottom, catch up with Kurt and Michael. And they're all like, hey, where's Kelton? We're like, I don't know. He was up the hill. That's I'm sure he's going to be coming down soon. So we wait a while, wait a while, wait a while. And finally, Kelton comes down the hill. Dude, where are you? It's like, oh, hi, I barred y'all. I'm, I think I'm having heat exhaustion. <laughs> so like, oh, that's, that's not good. So we send Kelton back with Michael and Kurt to the cars so they can get some water, cool off. And Evan and I decide we're going to just kind of keep riding the trail. So we ride for a while. We have a really good time. It was really hot, but really pretty. And we get back to the car where Andrew was at because he had a blown out knee. Story of his life. Uh, no, this one was, this was the groin this time. <laughs> Oh, was it the groin? Yes. Well, it's just so injured. It's, we just leave it at injured. As just injured. <laughs> so yeah, Andrew's hanging out at the car with, with Stevens. And so we get back and none of the other guys are there. Michael and, and Kurt and Kelton are gone. So we're like, oh, uh, how long have they been coming and where did they go? They've been gone for a little while. So Evan decides he's going to hang out. And I decide, you know what? I'm going to go look for them and just make sure that they're not dead. And so riding the trail... And after a while, I find them walking on their bikes because Kurt's tire has basically exploded. It hasn't quite exploded, but it's very flat. He can pump it up and it holds air for like 15 seconds and then loses its air. And so they've all been trying to walk and get back to the car and don't have water, really exhausted. So it's like, all right, guys, Kelton, Michael, y'all just ride on ahead. And then I'll walk back with Kurt and make sure that we get back to the car. And so we make our way, like pump up the bike, ride a little bit, have to stop and walk and just repeat this for a while. And if any of you have ever met Kurt, he's one of the most hilarious people that I know, like super happy, jovial, like always energetic, right? That was not Kurt on this, this ride back. 
I would try to have conversation with him just to make sure he was kind of doing it right. And I'd ask him a question and would just kind of get a kind of a one word grunt type response. Like I was, I was worried that Kurt was going to pass out and I was going to have to try to carry him in the bike back to the car. And so we're making our way and get to the point where we finally see the road and we decide just to go to the road instead. And we make it, Kurt gets in the car, gets some water. He's all good. The other guys, they eventually made it to, it was a close call though. Kelton and Michael both said that they were starting to kind of vision was going down the pen pricks and they were kind of on the verge of losing it. And so story is we, we all survived big bends, but it was maybe a near death experience for half of the party. And so don't go to big bend and, and bike and man, unless you've been heat training for a while, man. Last episode, Jonah told a story about his climbing adventures and it's, it was like almost dead on our story from big bend when we climbed and almost died to the yucca side yet again, a brush with that story will be saved for another day. Hopefully we're building <laughs> suspense. Big Ben is awesome though. Daniel is hundred percent right. And I'm still very sad. I missed out on that biking trip because it looked like fun, but we still had a good time and it's beautiful there. Yeah. Yeah. I think we also almost, I think part of the reason the other guys didn't make it was I took the car and we ditched the other guys and told them to stay put. Cause we went to go find you and Kurt a mile or two down the road because you guys were cutting across because you didn't think Kurt was going to make it or something. I can't remember what y'all radioed in. We're like, hey, we're coming down this way. Come pick us up. We picked you guys up and went back and the guys had disappeared because they tried to follow the car and something happened or whatever. It was, it was a mess. It's, it was, it it's was one of those, you mix heat with what I learned on the cruise is apparently everyone in the group has a terrible sense of direction. My father would agree with you and I don't want to hear it from you as well. <laughs> well, do we have a Daniel challenge? I would say I, I do like the line of questioning that you, you asked on would previous versions of myself be potentially disappointed with what my life looks like right now. And maybe even are there things that if this were to be you 10 years down the road, you'd be disappointed. I feel like that's a really good self-reflection exercise. And so the challenge would be to, to ask that of yourself and potentially even do a little bit of writing and journaling about it. Cause I think it'll make the experience all that much better and, you know, really, really challenge yourself. And, and honestly, I'm going to do it too, because I just heard that question now and I haven't had the chance to completely digest it, but just thinking through maybe 18 year old you or 20 year old you what things would they potentially be disappointed with? And, and just trying to think through, is that is that something that weighs on you at all? You know, if 20-year-old if you would be disappointed that you didn't have a Ferrari, well, that's not that big of a deal. But if 20-year-old you would be disappointed that you weren't still friends with a specific person, and that was a really meaningful relationship, or if 20-year-old you would be disappointed that yeah, you you don't ever talk to your parents anymore or your siblings or something like that. That's something that you can make some changes on before you hit so much further down the road that it's kind of a point of return. That's good. Good challenge. And I, I was a little proud of those questions. I, I think they're a good exercise for everybody. So I'm going to do it myself because I need to as well. Well, guys, thank you for joining us. And we hope that this was a good episode for you. We hope you learned something about Daniel and unfortunately, probably something about me and my uh, childish sense of humor. But we're glad you came on and we look forward to connecting with you soon.